in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit on God Amen through the grace of God we will study tonight chapter 1 from the Gospel of Saint Matthew first we will give an overview and introduction to the Gospel of Saint Matthew then the gospel the first chapter is actually divided into two parts the first part is the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the second part about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ let me start with overview and introduction to the gospel of Saint Matthew actually the gospel of Saint Matthew has always occupied a high esteem in the faith and life of the early church and most of the early church fathers uh, frequently quoted the gospel of saint matthew and actually the gospel of saint matthew is also the most read gospel during the first two centuries of Christianity. Uh, who is the author of the Gospel of St. Matthew? All the church fathers said that the author is St. Matthew himself. The word Matthew means the gift of the Lord. Gift of the Lord. And he had another name, Levi, and he was a tax collector before becoming one of the apostles of and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord called him to follow him and to be one of his disciples and he left everything and followed him and he was considered one of the Lord's earliest uh, disciples and since he followed the Lord Jesus Christ very closely so his account that he wrote to us in the gospel is actually considered first-hand account as an eyewitness not like the gospel of St. Luke St. Luke himself he depended on others in writing his gospel but St. Matthew as an eyewitness wrote first-hand experience because he was with the Lord Jesus Christ during his ministry. When the Gospel of St. Matthew was written, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said it was written while St. Peter and St. Paul were preaching in Rome. Eusebius, one of the historians, of the church he said that uh, it was done after saint matthew left palestine and start to preach outside palestine clement of, uh, of alexandria said that the first two gospels that were written is the gospel of saint matthew and the gospel of saint luke they are the first two Gospels that were written. So we can hold from all this 
that the Gospel of St. Matthew was written uh, around 39 to 42 AD. But I want to bring your attention that there are two versions of the Gospel of St. Matthew. And a Hebrew version or Aramaic version and a Greek version. And the church fathers believed that the Hebrew was written first between 39 and 42 AD and the Greek was written later between 60 and 67 AD. Unfortunately, the Aramaic version was lost. Maybe after the desolation of Jerusalem and dispersion of the Jews all over the world, so the Aramaic version was lost, or the Judaizers uh, tampered it. Judaizers are people who wanted to force uh, Judaism and Jewish customs on the early believers. So maybe the Judaizers actually hid uh, uh, the, the, the Aramaic version of the Gospel of St. Matthew because this version proves that Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews and they used another Gospel, a non-canonical Gospel, a false Gospel which is the Gospel of Hebrews. So the version that we are using right now is the Greek version of the Gospel of St. Matthew and as I told you this was written between 60 and 67. And the question now whether the Greek version is a translation of the Hebrew version or it is rewritten. St. Matthew rewrote it after the loss of the Aramaic version. Actually, uh, or the Bible scholars were divided. There is no consensus among the scholars of the Bible whether it is a translation or rewritten. Uh, and every view or every opinion has its pros and cons. But for us, we know for sure that St. Matthew is the author of the Greek version, whether it is a translation of the Hebrew version or it is uh, rewritten, whether this or that, it is written by St. Matthew, one of the twelve apostles. What is the theme of the Gospel of St. Matthew? Why St. Matthew wrote this Gospel? As we know that this Gospel was written to the Jews, and that's why he tried to prove to them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messianic King of the Old Testament, is the Messiah whom they are waiting for. And St. Matthew, in his Gospel, you will find he referred many, many times to prophecies from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And in him, these prophecies about the Messiah was fulfilled. We can say actually 12 times he identified Old Testament prophecies as fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And almost he quote from every book in the Old Testament. 
So we can say that the theme of the Gospel, Jesus is the King of the Jews. Jesus is the King of the Jews. And as I said, he wrote it to the Jews, and in particular to the Jews who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and became Christian. All the early church fathers confirmed that the recipients of the Gospel of St. Matthew is the Jews. And also, St. Matthew started his Gospel by the genealogy. And he traced Jesus Christ to be the son of David and the son of Abraham. Which means, he wants to say that Jesus of Nazareth is from the Jewish race. And he is actually the son of David, the Messiah, whom the Jews were waiting for. St. Matthew also gives details of Jewish religion observances, and often use Jewish style and techniques of argument. That's why we believe that he wrote it to the Jews, because he used Jewish style uh, of argument and also explained in detail Jewish religious observances. Also, many times he did not explain or give interpretation of the Jewish customs. Why? Because he wrote it to the Jews. And the Jews knew very well these customs. That's why he didn't need to interpret or explain these Jewish customs. And also, he made it clear that the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament. Because he was writing to the Jews. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And St. Matthew is the only one who made it very clear that Jesus was sent to the Jews. He is the only one who mentioned this verse, which is mentioned in Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he is sending the Jews a message that Christ came for you. Christ came to save you. We can divide the Gospel of St. Matthew into five sections. The first part, we can call it the advent of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. From Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. And in this part, St. Matthew proves that Christ is the son of David. He was born of a virgin at Bethlehem. His way was prepared by John the Baptist, and also he recorded his baptism and the temptation on the mountain. The second part from uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 to, verse, to chapter 16 verse 12, this is about the public proclamation of Messiah's kingdom. He is the king of the Jews. Now actually he is proclaiming and making clear to everybody that he came to establish the kingdom of God here. How he chose his first disciples and he started his ministry in Galilee. 
as we read in Matthew chapter 4 from verse 12 to 25, then the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, chapter 5, 6 and 7, in which the law of the new kingdom is announced, then actually there is description of many miracles performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The third section is distinct and public claim of the Messiahship, that he is the Messiah. From chapter 16 verse 13 to chapter 23 verse 39. Actually, in this part, the Lord calls for, uh, he asked the people about explicit confession of him as the Messiah. When he asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So the Lord calls forth their explicit confession of him as Messiah. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, then the account of transfiguration, and then actually entering Jerusalem as the son of David and assuming messianic authority in the temple. The fourth part is the sacrifice of the Messiah, the high priest, on the cross. It is Matthew chapter 24 and 2 chapter 27 verse 66. And he prepared his disciples for his sacrificial death and then the account of crucifixion. And the last section is the victory of the Messiah, the Savior and the King, when actually St. Matthew tells us about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And this actually means he established his Messiahship completely. And St. Matthew, because he was writing to the Jews, he mentioned many evidences that Jesus Christ indeed rose from the dead. And also he declared clearly his messianic authority. Before we start chapter 1, I want to explain quickly the numbers. Because in chapter 1, we will find that uh, they divided the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ to three sections, and every section is 14 names. So let me speak a little bit about the numbers in the Gospel of St. Matthew. In the scripture in general, the numbers usually have more significance than their quantitative indicator. For example, number 7 is a symbol of uh, perfection. But also, there is what we call gematria. What's gematria? Gematria is to use the symbolic significance of different numbers in the scripture and to use the number formed by the sum of the letters of words or names. Let me tell you what I mean by this. For example, the word David, number, uh, the letter D has a certain number, the letter V has a certain number, the letter D has a certain number. So when we add these numbers, it will give us another number for the word David. And in, uh, in Hebrew language, there is no vowels. 
So David actually is three letters, D, V, uh, D. There is no vowels in the constant in, in the Hebrew language. So for example, the letter D equal number four. Letter V equal number six. Letter D equal number four. So four plus six plus four uh, 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 is uh, 14. So here we can say number, uh, the word David equals number 14. Uh, and I think in, in all language there is the gematria like in Arabic Abgat Hawaz, Aleph has a certain number, another number and so on. So uh, St. Matthew and also in the Bible, they used also the gematria. How? In chapter 1, it consists of three groups, and each group is 14 names, with total number of 42. What is the significance of this? And as we'll see in, in chapter 1, St. Matthew actually manipulated the list to make it three groups of 14. So it was very clear that he wanted to keep the number 14. Because as I told you, Number 14 is a very important number because it is a number of the name of King David. And St. Matthew, he wants to say that Jesus is the son of David. Because all the prophecies on the Old Testament says that the Messiah is the son of David. So St. Matthew wants to say by numbers that even Jesus is the son of David. So St. Matthew wanted to confirm the royal lineage of Jesus Christ from David. And by saying 14 three times, so as if he wanted to say, he is the king of all ages. He is the king of all ages. Also, 20, 42, 14 by 3 is 42, which is the whole genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. 42 is, uh, if you multiply 6 by 7, uh, this will equal uh, 42. And as you know, 6 is the number of man. And 7 is number of perfection, number of God. So when we say 42, which is 6 by 7, symbolizes the connection or the conflict between man and God. So at the beginning, man rebelled against God. But God sent his son to reconcile man with God. That's why uh, St. Matthew want to keep the number 42 here in all the genealogy between the Lord Jesus Christ and Abraham, his ancestor. Because as I told you, seven is one of the perfect number, and six is the number of man and man's opposition to God's plan for man's kind salvation. Also, we will see number seven repeated several times in the Gospel of St. Matthew. The Beatitudes in uh, chapter five are seven. The Lord's Prayer in chapter six, our Father who art in heaven, there are seven petitions. The parables in chapter 13 are seven parables. The woes to Pharisees in chapter 23 are seven woes. So here we can see how St. Matthew used number seven, which is the number of 
perfection. Now, after we finished the introduction to the Gospel of St. Matthew, let's start reading it verse by verse. Matthew chapter 1 from verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot praise and Zerah by Tamar. Praise begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nahshun, and Nahshun begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Yerus, Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Let's stop at verse 6. Actually, he opened his gospel, he started by saying, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Actually, by opening the gospel, by mentioning that Jesus is the son of Abraham, son of David, he wants to tell them that the long-awaited Messiah, who was promised by the prophet to restore the kingdom of David, is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And he traced the royal lineage, because in the mind of the Jews, the Messiah is a king. So he told them that Jesus is the descendant of King David. So the royal lineage of Jesus Christ is from David. And this was one of the first things required to convince the Jewish audience that Jesus qualified to be the Messiah. Uh, and as I told you, he divided the genealogy into three main parts. Each part of 14 names. And each, uh, and David was mentioned twice. And why he mentioned David twice? Again, there is emphasis here that Jesus is the son of David. Because all the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament emphasizes that Jesus is the son of David. That's why he introduced Jesus Christ as son of David before saying he is the son of Abraham. Although Abraham came before David and he is the father of all Israelites, but he mentioned David before Abraham because in the Jewish mind that the Messiah is the son of David. Uh, and Saint Matthew also focused attention not the blood lying through Abraham, but on the King David and the covenant that God made with the King David, that from his descendant the Messiah will come. That's why Saint Matthew focused more on David to say that Jesus is the descendant of David and God's covenant with David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And 
there are many prophecies in the Old Testament, like Psalm 89 verse 3, Psalm 89 verse 4, Psalm 132 verse 10, etc. Many, many prophecies emphasize that the Messiah is the son of David. That's why he, he mentioned son of David before saying son of Abraham. And Saint Matthew, while he is writing the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, he mentions those persons only who are ancestors to Christ. That's why he did not mention Ishmael, for example, or Isu, or the twelve patriarchs, the sons of the twelve tribes, the sons of Jacob. Only he mentioned Judah, because he is ancestor of Christ. Also, we should note that he mentioned three, four women, three by their names. Three of the four by their names. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. And these three women were from uh, non-Jewish origin. They were Gentile women. And they were named for their remarkable history. And also to tell us that Jesus did not come only for the Jews, but came also for the Gentiles. Tamar's story, you can read it in Genesis chapter 38. Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho, and you can read her story in book of Joshua chapter 2. And Ruth uh, was a woman from Moab, and there is a whole book, a format of four chapters about Ruth. He mentioned the fourth woman, which is the wife of Uriah, the mother of Solomon. But he did not mention her name, but as the wife of Uriah. Uh, and as I said, she, uh, he, he, uh, by, by mentioning David the king twice, he wants to say the greatest of lion from Abraham to Christ so exalted that one of the titles of the Messiah was the son of David. That's why he mentioned David two times. Uriah was a Hittite, which means he was also a Gentile. That's why his wife also could be a Gentile. So the wife of Solomon, the mother of Solomon was a Gentile. And now we have the four women mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ were from the Gentiles, not from the Jews. Uh, between Joram and Uzziah, three names are intentionally omitted. How did we know this? If you compare the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, with First Chronicles chapter 3, from verse 11 to 12, you will find three names were omitted. Why he omitted these three names? Actually to equalize the threefold division of generation to be 14 names. But this omission uh, of unimportant links was very common in the Old Testament. So in, in recording the genealogy, this was very common to omit unimportant links. So let's read from verse 7. Solomon begot 
Rehobam, Rehobam begat Abijah, and Abijah begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Juram, and Juram begat Uzziah. Uzziah begat Jusam. And as I told you, between Uzziah and Jusam, there are three names uh, were omitted here. Jusam begat Ahaz, Ahaz begat Hezekiah, Hezekiah begat Manasseh, Manasseh begat Amun, Amun begat Josiah, Josiah begat Jeconiah, and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begat Shealtail, Shealtail begat Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begat Abiud, Abiud begat Aliyakim, Aliyakim begat Azur. Verse 13, Zerubbabel begat Abiud. If we compare Matthew chapter 1 about Zerubbabel and Abiud with First Chronicles chapter 3 verse 19, we will find that the name Abiud was not mentioned. There are many uh, opinions. So some people said Abiud has two names. And the name mentioned in First Chronicle was the other name of Abiud. Or other scholars said, actually, again, this name was not recorded in First Chronicles, but it was taken from the public or family registers. And the Jews actually carefully kept the public and family registers because everybody wants to know the Messiah would come from which family and which, uh, uh, which tribe. So this record were very, very accurate and never a challenge. Let's go back to verse uh, 14. Azur begat Zadug, Zadug begat Akim, Akim begat Eliud, Eliud begat Eliazar, Eliazar begat Matsan. Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So here, Matthew actually traced the lineage of Jesus Christ through Joseph. Although Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, we know Jesus was born of a virgin, but he is considered the legal father of the Lord Jesus Christ. How come? Uh, because in, in Jewish tradition, the betrothal is considered like civil marriage. And Saint Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So there was like a civil marriage between jo uh, Joseph and Mary. But this marriage was never consummated. They never lived together as a husband and wife. So legally, he is considered the husband of St. Mary, and legally, he is considered the legal father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see how this lineage, which have a long chain of kings, ended by a poor carpenter, St. Joseph of uh, the carpenter. There are two genealogies, one was mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, and the other was mentioned in the Gospel of St. Luke. And if you compare the two genealogies, genealogies, they are different. In many areas they are the same, and many areas they are different. Especially between David and Joseph, the lists are widely different. There are several views to explain the difference between the genealogy in Luke and the genealogy in Matthew. 
But the most acceptable explanation that St. Matthew gives the line of Joseph, the legal line. But St. Luke gives the line of St. Mary, the mother of our Lord, the biological line. So when you read the genealogy in, in Luke, he traced it to uh, Al-Yaqim, who is the father of Yaqim, the father of St. Mary. So in Luke, the genealogy is through St. Mary, but in Matthew, it is through St. Joseph. And because the Jews regarded only the male descendant, that's why St. Matthew wrote to the Jews, he used the lineage through Joseph. If he used the lineage through St. Mary, this would not be acceptable to them. That's why he used through St. Joseph, the legal father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and St. Joseph was descendant of David. But St. Mary also was a descendant of David. So when we say Jesus is the son of David, uh, that's from his legal father's side and from his mother's side is true. Uh, and the Jews wouldn't believe or wouldn't recognize it, this genealogy as a fulfillment of the prophecies that Jesus is the son of David if St. Matthew used it through St. Mary. That's why he used it through St. Joseph. But St. Luke, Luke, being a Gentile, and he wrote to Theophilus, who also a Gentile, that's why he wants to prove that even biologically, from St. Mary, he is also the son of David. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before the marriage was consummated, before living together as husband and wife, which never happened, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So, St. Mary was betrothed to uh, St. Joseph, and as I told you, betrothal was considered like a, a, a civil marriage. There was a, a, a formal ceremony, and it was a binding obligation. Uh, and usually, the time of betrothal is one year before the marriage. And any unfaithfulness after betrothal is considered adultery. Any unfaithfulness after betrothal is considered adultery. And that's why St. Joseph, when he found St. Mary with a child, he thought that she committed a sin. Because he didn't know that her pregnancy was by the Holy Spirit. And they were legally bound through the betrothal. So as a righteous man, he didn't want to ruin her reputation. He didn't want to bring her to be stoned according to the law. So he made his decision. He resolved to divorce her privately and would it in secret. And this actually shows his righteousness. If a man heard that his fiancée committed adultery, maybe he will be enraged and he want to revenge 
But Saint Joseph, as a righteous man, he didn't want to ruin her reputation, but he decided to put her away. Put her away means to divorce her secretly and in private, and not to make public example of her. But God had another plan for Saint Joseph. Verse 20. But while he, he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, and here again the emphasis, son of David, he's the son of King David. Don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here actually the angel of the Lord, while Saint Joseph was in doubt, he appeared to him. And most probably this was Archangel Gabriel, who appeared to Saint Mary to announce the birth of Jesus, and also appeared to Zachariah and Elizabeth to announce the birth of John the Baptist. And again, even the angel said to Joseph, son of David, to remind uh, David, to remind, sorry, Joseph, that the, all the families of David's line, they waited for the Messiah. And now he will be the legal father of uh, the Messiah. So he's preparing him for this marvelous announcement that the son in, in the womb of St. Mary is God incarnate, is the Messiah. So he told him, don't be afraid. You are, you are not offending God to keep St. Mary, and you are not bringing any reproach or scandal upon yourself by keeping St. Mary as your legal wife. He told him that this conception is from the Holy Spirit. And actually he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, Joshua, Hosea are synonymous. And these three names means Savior, from verb to save. So he is the Savior of the world. But Jesus is not an earthly king to save us from an earthly enemy, temporal salvation. But Jesus is our Savior to save us from the curse of sin, condemnation, and banishment. So he will save his people from their sins. As he said to uh, Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. Then actually, he supported his word by a verse from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with the child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So he told him, yes, there is a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about a virgin will be with a son. That's Mary, your legal wife. Um, and again, here St. Matthew used this prophecy to prove to the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, is the King of Jews, whom 
everybody was waiting for. Emmanuel means God is with us. And this is very appropriate title for Jesus because now God who is above us became man and lived among us. Indeed, God is with us. After the archangel assured Joseph, he did not hesitate, he did not wait, he did not delay, but immediately he took Mary back. As we read in verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So, took Mary uh, immediately and uh, once he was convinced by her innocence, he did not delay to, uh, in order not to leave any ground of suspicion if he delayed taking her back to him. He obeyed at once. And actually all of us, if God speaks or God instructed us, our response should be to obey immediately, innocently, with no delay in obedience. Last verse, and didn't know her, know her means to have relationship as husband and wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, as the angel told him. There are two words in this verse that many questions arise about these two words. The first tell, and the first, uh, the, the, the word tell, and the word firstborn. Many people say Joseph did not know Mary till she gave birth to, G to Jesus. So this means after the birth of Jesus, he knew her. They had a relationship. Of course, this is wrong. Because the word tell does not necessarily imply that they lived differently afterward. Like when we read in the book of Samuel that David did not know her, his wife Michal until she died. Does this mean he knew her after she died? Of course not. When we read in the psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put all your enemies under your feet. Does this mean after he puts the enemies under his feet, then he will tell him, uh, go from my right hand? Of course not. So the word till doesn't mean that they lived differently after birth of Jesus Christ. The second word, firstborn. Firstborn is called for the firstborn child, whether there are other children or no other children. So, if a family has one son, this son is called the firstborn. So the firstborn decide, uh, uh, it does not actually explain whether Mary had other children or not, but the firstborn means he is the firstborn child, whether there are other children or not. Of course, we believe in the perpetual virginity of Saint Mary, which means she was virgin before, during, and after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. She never 
get married, yes, legally she was married to Joseph or betrothed to Joseph, but this marriage was never consummated. And the brethren of Jesus uh, that we read about them in the gospel, uh, in the gospels, are his cousins, not. Uh, his brothers from St. Mary and St. Jerome explained in detail that the brothers of Jesus are his cousins and not the children of St. Mary. Amen.